You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. So here we are in week three of our 10-week series, The Tree of Life. If you missed the first two weeks, we're going to try to catch you up a little bit. We are walking through God's salvation story, his divine narrative. Five Old Testament lessons, five New Testament lessons. The first week, Pastor Gerber started everything off. Where? Of course, at the beginning. Where God spoke, he spoke the world into creation. But unfortunately, sin entered the world. Adam and Eve had two choices, do you remember? And I love the question that Pastor Gerber asked us to consider. What they had to consider. Does anyone remember when Satan tempted them? with the tree of good and evil, to be like him, to be like God? What what was the question? Do you know it? (laughs) Uh, Not quite, Duane. It begins with listen. Should I listen to the creator? Or should I listen to a creature? Good job. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve, they listened to the creature. Satan in the form of a serpent and sin entered the world and it's been broken ever since. But the good news is Pastor Gerber ended with a promise that day from Genesis 3.15 that ultimately God loves us so much that he would put a salvation and plan in place for us. And here it was in 315. And I would put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, that's Jesus, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Which brought us to last week. Because it didn't take long, did it? For evil to permeate the entire world, and it became so evil, so corrupt, and there was so much unfaithfulness that God almost ended everything. But there was one faithful family. Who was that? Noah. Noah and his family. And he saved Noah and his family through that amazing, miraculous ark that he built. And they came through it unscathed and the, and the waters receded and the land dried up and God gave him a command. Remember? Little Richard? Tutti Frutti? Multiply, right? Multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And they did. But unfortunately, evil reigned again, didn't it? So he went... To an old man and an old woman named Abraham and Sarah. And he made a covenant with them that through them, through Abraham and his descendants, 
the salvation plan would continue. Remember three promises. Land, descendants slash a great nation, and what's the last one? You will be a blessing to all people. Not just the Hebrews, to all people. And then we moved to Genesis 22, where God put the ultimate test to Abraham. And he asked Abraham to sacrifice his very own son, Isaac. And before he did, he stopped. He provided a ram. And yes, God is our provider. And that's where we ended last week. So today we go from Genesis 22 all the way to Exodus 12. So we're going to go in a hurry. So be ready. So Isaac needs a wife if we're going to keep multiplying, right? So Abraham says, I want you to go 400 miles back home to the land where my relatives are. I don't want you marrying a Canaanite woman. And he goes and he finds a wife. God finds a wife for Isaac. Her name is Rebecca. Rebecca, yes. And Rebecca and Isaac return home and they have two twins who really tangle, don't they? Esau and Jacob. Well, things don't go well because Jacob, the second born, wants, his, wants the blessing. And mother wants the blessing for Jacob too, her favorite son. A lot of favorite sons in the Old Testament, aren't there? And ultimately, they trick Isaac, and Jacob, the younger son, gets the blessing, and we have trouble in River City, right? So Jacob had to flee from Esau. He would have killed him, deservedly so. So where does he go? He goes 400 miles north again, back to the land of Abraham where he grew up, to his family. And his uncle Laban has a beautiful daughter named Rachel, and he works seven years so he can have Rachel, and then Laban pulls a trick, and he has to wait seven more years. So he had two wives, Leah first, and then after another seven years, he finally marries Rachel, and this whole time, God is just blessing Jacob like crazy with, with all kinds of property and, and, and livestock and servants. Everything he does just turns into pure gold. But ultimately, it's time to go back home. Because Laban and his sons start getting jealous. And it's on the way back that there's a little wrestling match, right? And Jacob wrestles with who? The Lord himself. The Lord himself all night long. And it's at that time that Jacob's name is, is changed to Israel. And even though Jacob is very nervous, Esau forgives him and there's reconciliation, which leads to dreamer boy. Who's the dreamer boy? Joseph. The favorite son of Rachel. Another favorite son. 
And before you know it, his brothers hate him, hate him with a passion so much that they want to kill him. But they don't kill him, they sell him. And he ends up in Egypt. And he rises to power, to the power of what we would call prime minister of Egypt today. But then he has a little difficulty, doesn't he? He gets thrown in prison. And back comes Dreamer Boy. Because there was only one person who could interpret the dreams of Pharaoh that were disturbing him so much. The seven fat cows and the seven thin cows and the seven shocks of wheat. And Remember that? Yeah. But he gets it right. And he rises to power again. And then there's a famine. And Isaac sends his sons back. Jacob sends his sons back. Israel sends his sons back. Back to Egypt to ask for food. It's the only place that had food. It was such a famine. And there was reconciliation again. Because Joseph forgave the brothers who sold him into slavery. Pharaoh loved Joseph. He loved him so much that he invited all of the Hebrews to live in Egypt and even gave them a land. It was called Goshen. And they produced like rabbits. And pretty soon, there was a new Pharaoh. And there were a lot of Hebrews. And paranoia kicked in. And the Pharaoh said, this is not good. This is dangerous. And he enslaved the Hebrew people for 400 years. So they needed a deliverer, didn't they? A deliverer that was floating down the Nile. Who am I talking about? Moses. And Moses, miraculously, another Hebrew, he rises in power in the Egyptian government until one day the Hebrew rescuer Moses kills one of those men who were in charge of the slaves. And now he's on the run. And he's in the wilderness. But God provides for him. And one day he looks up in the mountain and there's a bush burning and it's not burning up. And he stands before that burning bush and he, provide, and, and he, receives, he receives a promise from God that he will deliver his people, but it's going to be through Moses and Moses can't hardly believe it. He doesn't think he's worthy. But ultimately, God wins. And Moses goes back and he talks to Pharaoh, doesn't he? And what does he say? Let my people go. But Pharaoh doesn't let his people go. God hardens his heart. So he sends a series of plagues. There are ten plagues, the first nine. Blood and frogs, gnats, flies, dead livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, pure pitch darkness. And after each one of these nine plagues, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And he does not let his people go. 
But then God threatens a tenth and final plague. A plague of death that would sweep over all of Egypt. A plague of death that would kill the firstborn man, woman, or child. The firstborn of all living creatures. A plague so devastating that Pharaoh would have no other choice than to let the Hebrew people go. But all the firstborns did not die that night, did they? You see, the angel of death would pass over the Hebrews. Yes, Passover. The foreshadowing of God passing over our sins. The Hebrew word for Passover is Pesach. Pesach means to ward off a blow. But how did he do this exactly? How was the blow of the angel of death warded off to the Hebrew people that night? Well, God gave special instructions. We read those in our scripture lesson this morning already. He gave him special instructions to follow so that their lives could be spared. Each household was to take an unblemished lamb, a lamb that was one year old. And they were supposed to kill it at the twilight of the day as the sun was going down. We pick up more details in verse 7 as God is giving Moses instructions for his people. Exodus 12, verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. It probably looked a, a little bit like this. Continue with verse 13. And the blood shall be a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Do you see the word that's highlighted up there? The word token. The word token is used in the King James Version. On the night that God delivered Israel from the Egyptian bondage, the blood of the Passover lamb was their token of God's mercy and grace. Their token, the blood of the unblemished lamb on the doorpost. It was their Pesach. God's token of blood warded off the deadly blow. Do you see the foreshadowing of the blood of Christ again as we continue to move forward in this salvation narrative? In this divine story of sin to salvation? St. Paul understood the significance of Passover. He understood Pesach. He clearly understood that he also had a Pesach, a token that was given to him freely, a token that was given to him so that he might be saved from death and the evils of Satan. 
Do you know what his token was? His own Passover token? Your own Passover token? Your personal Pesach? If you're thinking the blood of Jesus, you're right. Yes, your free token is the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world by suffering and dying and bleeding on a cross. You see, you have your own, your very own Passover lamb. His name is Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who hung on a dead tree. But on that dead tree comes life. Eternal life for you and for me. Through Christ, you are made righteous. Through Christ alone. You are made righteous in the sight of God Almighty. St. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3. I would like us to read this together this morning. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus who God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. So the foreshadowing became a reality, didn't it? It's the third time our token, our Pesach, is being revealed to us in this series. In week one, it was Genesis 3.15, when God told Satan, my son will crush you. Last week, it was Abraham and Isaac, and God providing at the very last second that ram foreshadowing God providing our own lamb to cover our own sins. And now this week, the Passover. Foreshadowing the death and damnation passing over us because we are covered by the blood of Jesus. They're all reminders of the Lord's plan of salvation to us. You see, on the last day, when Jesus returns to judge the quick and the dead, there's going to be another angel of death. The angel of death will see the blood of Christ marking you. The angel of death will pass over us, sparing us from eternal death and hell. We'll be washed clean and pure of all of our sins and we will be in God's presence and we will stand together on this new earth. We will live in a perfectly restored creation surrounded by people made holy 
and good through the blood of the Lamb. The token of Christ's blood shed on the cross is real. His blood forgives and His blood saves. Forgives you and forgives me. Saves you and saves me. Thanks be to God. Amen.